During the Advent season, we read the first few verses of John's Gospel frequently, talking about the Incarnation, how the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, Jesus, became a man. And incarnation, of course, is a word that comes from the Latin carne for flesh, uh, verbum caro factum est, as it said in the old Angelus prayer, the word became flesh. So let's this morning look at uh, John's gospel a little bit and consider uh, what he had to say about Jesus. In the beginning was the word. That's very significant because it's an acknowledgement that there was a beginning. That's Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And our consensus of modern science is that there was a beginning. And the only explanation for why that beginning occurred that really makes sense is Almighty God, a pre-existent being with no need for anything else and the power and the ability to create. So at that beginning, before time began, Jesus was in the Godhead. Goes on to say, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Then it goes on to say a little bit later, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth, grace and truth central attributes of our Lord Jesus. So this passage is very powerful. It talks about a, a miracle, a miraculous event, the second person of the Trinity coming to us in the flesh. And God chose to do it in a rather peculiar way through the pregnancy of a virgin young woman, Mary. Again, fully miraculous no other explanation, no other way it could have happened. And as a result of that miracle, the Son of God became the God-man forever. It's a mystery to us and not easily explained how God could become a man, how God could take on human flesh, human existence, live as a human being. But uh, as amazing as that is, and as challenging to understand, uh, the real question is, why? Why the God-man? Why did God become a man? And in the Middle Ages, St. Anselm answered that question by explaining that only by becoming one of us, only becoming human, could God affect the remedy for our separation from him. You know, even though the covenant with Noah was an eternal covenant, perpetual, God didn't change the nature of humanity through that covenant. And over the ages, 
his chosen people, the children of God, the Jewish people, they continued to backslide, fall, uh, stumble, sin, rebel against God, turn against God. And so bad that uh, finally God intervened by sending his son, the only begotten son, the only begotten word, the logos of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So God chose to rectify our state of separation in this way and provided for us a way, one way, the only way to be right with him. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me, and no man can come to me unless the Father calls him. Only a godly and obedient man could restore the balance, effectively atone for the sins of humanity. God's justice could not be compromised, had to be uh, fulfilled, had to be satisfied, had to be made right through the restorative justice, the, the atoning justice of what Jesus suffered for me and for those who follow him. But another aspect of this that uh, maybe we don't talk about as much that's interesting, God also wanted his chosen people, his children, the people uh, who were his descendants through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jewish people, the chosen people. He wanted them to uh, enjoy the blessing of this restoration and especially for them to enjoy it because they had placed their confidence in that ancestry, in that inheritance, in that racial and ethnic allegiance. You know, they trusted in being descendants of Abraham and then were able to live a, a life of formality, observance, ritual, and felt that that made them right in the sight of God. But uh, Jesus came and John before him, John the Baptist, to disabuse them of any such notion. You remember when John the Baptist was confronted by the Pharisees sent out to ask him who he was, he said to them, uh, you brood of vipers, John was never one to mince words. Uh, don't say that we have Abraham as our father. Don't rely on that status. God can raise up children of Abraham from these stones. You need repentance. You need to turn to God with a new heart. Jesus himself said the same things in John 8, 39 to 40, when he confronted the religious authorities, they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. And so it was necessary for the chosen people who were always under God's protection and always under God's plan for eternal salvation to, you might say, be brought up short at this point in salvation history and shown that that ancestry, that ethnic status, that racial status, whatever, whatever you will call it, was not enough. And that's 
a lesson for all of us. Our standing before God can only be right in one way, which is to place our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So during the Advent season, uh, we enjoy our Christmas carols and hymns. And one of the most beautiful is Joy to the World by the great hymnist uh, Isaac Watts. And in that hymn, we sing joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Verse three says, no more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. How far is the curse found? Well, it's found everywhere, of course. So Jesus comes to remedy the curse everywhere that it's found for all those who place their trust in him. And we don't want to be like uh, the people Jesus castigated when he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me in Matthew 15, verse 8. God doesn't want lip service. God doesn't want us to honor him with our lips, say the right prayers, sing the right songs, uh, mouth the correct Bible verses. If it's not in our heart, God wants the heart. God wants our hearts. And God will not be satisfied with less than our hearts. So think about Jesus coming to the world, why he had to come. It had to be a man. It had to be the God man. You know, I sometimes used to say to Sunday school students, if uh, you wanted to help the fish in the ocean uh, who had a problem, pollution or something, or some difficulty, well, you could get into a diving suit or you know, put on your scuba gear and get into the water, but you wouldn't be one of them. You'd still be a stranger in order to really connect with them and help them and be like them and, and be connected and related to them. You'd have to be a fish too. And in a way, that's what God did by sending Jesus to us as the incarnate word as the Son of God, redeeming us through his life of obedience and his sacrifice and reaching out to us, asking for our hearts, not lip service. This Advent season, prayer is that you would place your trust in the Lord Jesus and give your heart to God and not just honor him with your lips, but embrace the God-man who came this time for you and for me. Amen.